Good morning, everyone. I, uh, I know we've kind of spoken about the youth retreat a couple of times already, uh, but we haven't shown you a picture. And uh, Hannah sent us a photo, so I'm going to get this picture put up on the screen, uh, and you can see there. So that is our army of teenagers off at Keats Island this weekend, uh, along with Hannah. And just a huge thank you to a number of adults who stepped up to the plates and said, yes, I'll volunteer. Uh, and so a couple of dads are in there in the cabins. Um, one of the dads, his kids didn't actually know until he stepped onto the boat that he was going to be joining them for the weekend. So, you know, we're, I'm sure there's some family uh, counseling might be needed by the end of all of that. Uh, but yeah, we're just blown away that our kids are able to go out to Keats with a number of volunteers. And as we've said over the last couple of weeks, by having all those teenagers out of uh, the building and not here, it means we've had a number of gaps open up in volunteering at church. Uh, and so I just want to echo the thanks that have gone out. You would have noticed a number of new faces at, on the, the tech side behind the cameras. If you go into Sunday school, there are a number of new faces stepping in there. And uh, we kind of, while we were talking in the office last week, we realized, sorry, this is going all over the show here. Uh, we realized last week that the Sunday mo this morning in our Sunday school, we have volunteers that range from 13 years old all the way up to 87 years old. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I know he probably wouldn't want me to say it, but... Today is Tony Wagemaker's birthday, and he is the 87-year-old working with the grade 7s and 8s. So, you know, you, you need to encourage him during coffee time afterwards. I know he's having an absolute blast in there anyway, uh, but that just blows me away. Uh, and then our other 80-year-old volunteer said, I'd love, you know, I'm, I'm happy to help. I just don't know if I can sit on the floor anymore. And so we said, that's fine, we'll give you a chair. Uh, because the reality is all the kids sit on chairs as well. So it's just absolutely awesome. So thank you to everyone. It's so good to see. Uh, if you're joining us, visiting us this morning, uh, if you're visiting us online, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a series looking at the Holy Spirit. Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit work? Uh, what does the Holy Spirit do in us and through us? And this morning, we finish off that. We, we are finishing off that series. We're ending off. Uh, and so just by way of recapping, before I dive into this morning, uh, I want to remind all of us, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, we believe our God exists in three persons, for want of a better word, even though it is not a person, uh, strictly. But the Holy Spirit is part of our triune God, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as God, the Holy Spirit moves in us in certain ways. It is the Holy Spirit that develops the fruit of the Spirit within us. So as we humbly serve, as we humbly seek to serve one another, uh, in so doing, in love, we are serving God, and this is how God slowly changes us and slowly gives us more patience, more kindness, more goodness, as we conform to the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's the main reason of why we have the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is making us like Christ. The Holy Spirit, as we heard last week, gives us spiritual gifts. And it's those gifts that are given to build the church. In fact, one of the things we need to keep reminding ourselves about the spiritual gifts and even the fruit of the Spirit, they're not there for our own benefit. 
Now, we don't seek spiritual gifts so that we can say to the world, hey, look at me. Uh, look, I must be more spiritual than somebody else because look at this gift that I've got. Uh, we might want a supernatural spiritual gift so that we can really look the part of the super spiritual Christian. But that's not what God does. God give, gives us his gifts for his ultimate purpose. And so when we pursue the things of the Spirit, when we pursue the gifts and the fruits and becoming more like Christ, it's not for our own benefit, it's for the world around us. In the very first week, I, I kind of spoke about Francis Chan's book, The Forgotten God, because that's really the reality of the Holy Spirit. In many churches, the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God. And we've forgotten about him as he seeks to work and move within our minister, in our midst. And as this forgotten God, and as Francis Chan spells out in this book here, God isn't ultimately interested in what we do. God is interested in who we're becoming. That's God's purpose with us. And so even as we joke and we talk about volunteering, you know what, I know there are a number of you who for health reasons, for age reasons, or, or for all sorts of life reasons, cannot fully volunteer. And, and you might kind of sit there and go, well, does that make me a second-rate Christian? If, if I just don't have the energy or the, the, the strength anymore, I'd love to, but I just can't? No, because God's not worried about what you do. God's worried about who you are becoming. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us on that journey. And so just like uh, C.S. Lewis finishes off his Chronicles of Narnia series, where he reminds the readers that, you know, this story is just finished, but actually, ultimately, it's only just begun. And with that in mind, that's the topic of the Holy Spirit. And we've flown through seven or eight weeks, uh, and, and I cannot believe how quickly it's gone by. We're going to have to come back to this topic at some point in the future. Uh, so don't worry, we will. But this morning, I'm going to close off and finish off by focusing on a couple of questions. Is this distracting anyone else? This is totally distracting me. Every now and then, I'm like... Nah, nah, nah. Don't worry. It's just my ADD acting up. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. So this morning, I'm going to close off with a bunch of questions that hopefully weave a theme through them. And these are questions that you have sent. So these are questions that some of the life groups have discussed and they've chatted about and, and kind of engaged with. And as the life groups have wrestled with them, uh, so they've kind of said, well, you know, let's, Brian ask for questions. Let's see if Brian can shed some light. And I'm going to say, no, Brian can't shed light. The Holy Spirit will shed light. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit will do just that this morning. And speaking about praying, the very first question that came up was, can we or should we pray to the Holy Spirit? Can we or should we pray to the Holy Spirit? And that's a reasonable question. In fact, that's a logical question. Jesus himself, when he taught his disciples to pray and said, pray this way or pray like this, he begins with our Father. Jesus routinely speaks about Abba, Father, and leads us to this place of we pray to our Father. And in fact, as he says, Abba, Father, we have a number of people even today who, who will pray and say, Daddy, God, or, or Papa, God. And I got to tell you, when you say that, I kind of have this little twitch moment. Um, but I understand that. Because that's what Abba Father is. It's, it's Daddy. It's that childlike faith before our Heavenly Father. 
And so when somebody kind of goes, well, if Jesus taught us to do that, how do we deal with the Holy Spirit? Do we pray to the Holy Spirit? Scripture doesn't expressly tell us that we should, but Scripture also doesn't expressly tell us that we shouldn't. And if we believe that indeed the Holy Spirit is God, and we speak to our Heavenly Father as much as we speak to our Savior Jesus Christ, then there is nothing wrong with speaking to the Holy Spirit. And indeed, if Scripture says that the Holy Spirit is here to lead us into truth or to guide us, then there is nothing wrong. In fact, it is, it is natural and it should be encouraged that as we gather together in a life group or in a church setting, setting for example, to pray, Holy Spirit, lead us into truth. Holy Spirit, make us more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts that we might worship our Heavenly Father. And so, yes, we can and indeed occasionally should pray to the Holy Spirit. I, I found a, a prayer from the Mozarabic liturgy, and I don't know if I'm saying that word correctly, but the prayer, simple, two sentences, just simply says, O Holy Spirit, Comforter with the Father and the Son, you live as one God. Descend to our hearts this day, that while you make intercession for us, we may call on our Father with full confidence through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so indeed, we can and occasionally should pray to the Holy Spirit. But as we talk about praying to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would move in our midst, that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us, and, and that we would encounter God, a natural follow-on question from that, and a question that came out in more than one of our life groups was, what does it mean to say that the Holy Spirit moves? You know, we, we sang, let us experience more of your presence. Move in this place. Come and move in our midst. What does it mean to say, Holy Spirit, move in this place? You know, what I, when I think about the Holy Spirit, when I read through Scripture, I, I'm inclined to believe that the Holy Spirit loves messes. I don't mean to say the Holy Spirit loves to make a mess. No, that's what we do without any help from anybody else. But the Holy Spirit seems to love chaos, disorder, and a mess because he brings order to it. We see it right in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Right there. In fact, many, many scholars will talk about when you introduce a theme in Scripture, or when Scripture introduces a theme, they'll go back to where's the first verse, where's the first account, and the first time we hear of this topic. And so likewise with the Holy Spirit, this is the first time we encounter the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is a hovering presence of God. And he hovers over the chaos and the mess. And he brings order, and he brings life, and he brings light into those dark places. So when we say, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit moves, or we pray, Holy Spirit, come and move in this place, it begins with an acknowledgement and a recognition that our omnipresent God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, hovers over us. He hovers over this place. 
ready to step in and to bring form and to bring meaning where there is no form and there is no meaning. And so when I pray, Holy Spirit, move in this place, I I do that even at home. I acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is like a guest in my home, although he is so much more than a guest in my home. I know sometimes life groups like to joke about, you know what, we we need to keep an open chair because that's for the Holy Spirit. You know, I would encourage that kind of mindset. Not with a, a belief that the Holy Spirit is literally sitting there because he's not. He dwells within us and he hovers above us. But it should be a reminder that the Holy Spirit is in this place and he is ready to move in our midst. And he's ready to do according to what God wants him to do. You know, when Jesus speaks to his disciples in Luke chapter 11, he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he isn't asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what does it mean to say that the Holy Spirit moves? It means to say that the Holy Spirit hovers. The Holy Spirit waits. And the Holy Spirit moves according to God's purpose. For God's glory. And all that it requires is for you and I to live in that state of an awareness that the Holy Spirit is here. And so this means not just in church. This means when I go home for lunch with my family. When I go to school, when I go to work, when I, when I go to the, the library, to the shopping mall, when I fill my car with gas. I need to be aware that the Holy Spirit is hovering. The Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit is ready, waiting, and watching to move according to God's purpose. And as we wait, so we will be able to see God at work through us. And this leads into the the third question. The third question is, how do we live in the power of the Holy Spirit? And that's just another way of saying, well, how do we actually see God at work by his Spirit in us? How do we live according to the power? You know, we we speak about it. Jesus himself told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses starting in Judea and going to the ends of the world. And so there's, there's this sense, and, and then we read the rest of the book of Acts, and I'm not suggesting that the book of Acts is supposed to be prescriptive on what we're supposed to see the Holy Spirit do in our lives in every situation. No, I think it is more descriptive in certain parts. But the point of the matter is Jesus said, wait, because that Holy Spirit that is hovering over you will descend. And you will receive power. And you will be my witnesses. So how do we live in the power of the Holy Spirit? Because really a quick survey of our churches might tell us that there are many who do not live in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So if you're taking notes, this is where I want to focus just for a few minutes this morning. And if you don't have a pen and a paper, you've probably got a cell phone. You can flip that out and you can type down these five words. How do we experience the power of the Holy Spirit? Now, the Holy Spirit used to be called the Holy Ghost. And seen as we're coming up to, to Halloween, please don't, you know, accuse me of heresy. I'm going to work on the acrostic ghost. How do we experience the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, the first up, we get before God. We get before God. You know, every now and then somebody will come to me and say, I just feel like I'm, I'm walking in defeat. It, it just feels like, like I, I'm not experiencing the power of God. And I'll always say, well, tell me about your time with God. Tell me about your prayer times. Tell me about your, your time in the scripture. And almost without fail, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't really do much of that. Well, you're not going to experience the power of God if you're not starting with God. That's not how it works. If we want to experience the power of God, it begins by us getting before God. Jesus' brother James talks about this in James chapter 4. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. The first step to experience the power of God is humbly coming before God, aware that we need him. That means we need to switch off distractions. That means we need to forget about other things. And we need to intentionally spend time in the presence of God. If that means you've got to find a quiet place outside of your house, find that. If you've got to go and sit in your car in the garage to just get 10 minutes of peace and quiet so that you can pray and read the scripture, then do that. Get before God. Amen Amen indeed. And then the second part, as you get before God, the H, humble yourself. Humble yourself. You know, too many people are looking for experiences with God. Too many people are looking for this this little feeling of the supernatural. And part of why they want that is so that they can feel better than others. And God says, no, I oppose the proud. But I show favor, I show grace to the humble. If we want to experience the power of God, we have to humble ourselves. And part of why we need to humble ourselves, this is what I spoke about last week, is because when God moves in our midst, it's never going to be for our own sake. Never. It will be for others. We might receive benefit, make no mistake about that. But when God works through us, it's for others. And he's going to call us to serve other people. Proud people make terrible servants. And God says, humble yourself. So if you want to experience the power of God, get before God, humble yourself, and thirdly, obey what the Spirit tells you to do. Obey what the Spirit tells you to do. Yes, I know, there are going to be times you're going to wrestle with something inside your, your, your mind, your heart, and you're not going to know, is this the prompting of the Holy Spirit, or is this indigestion? But you will get a feeling, a sense of, do this, speak to that person, go there. You know, this happened to me on Friday. I'd been trying to get hold of someone, uh, and I'd sent a text message or a couple, and and I just, I I knew if I phone, there's always the risk this individual kind of might see my name and go, ah, I know what it's about, I don't want to speak to him. 
And so I did the old-fashioned pastor thing. I arrived at his house unannounced. So he couldn't, you know, kick me away. But the thing was, as I was driving off, I was heading somewhere else, and I thought to myself, well, I kind of felt like maybe the Holy Spirit was prompting me, you need to go to this person's house. So I went. But even here, I went with an agenda. I had texted him. I I wanted something from him. And so when I got there and he opened up, he he was pretty sure that's why I was there. Instead of phoning him, I've just come to ask him face to face. So I sat down in his lounge, and and, and I was about to ask him. And it was just this really cool, weird, unexplainable thing because I got super tongue tied in the moment. And that doesn't often happen to me. But inwardly, there was this feeling or the sense of, Brian, you're about to jump into business. You haven't even asked him how he's doing. And, and I know I'm bad at that. This isn't the first time I've done that. And so I just kind of paused. I went, how are you doing? And maybe that question was completely unexpected. And it caught him at the moment. And he just shared from his heart some of what he's going through and what he's experiencing. And I realized then and there, I still went on to ask him my agenda, but I realized in the middle of that conversation, Brian, you weren't there for your agenda. You were there because he needed a pastoral visit. He needed somebody to just listen to him and to encourage him and to pray with him. And don't worry about your stress and your problems. We'll fix that. I'm building my church. And so we need to learn to obey what the Spirit tells us to do. And there will be times, of course, we will think the Holy Spirit has told us to do something, we'll do it, and and it might look like it's failed, it might look like it went nowhere, it might look like it flopped. And in those moments, we have to just humbly say, God, I I did what I thought, I'm going to trust the result to you, because we have no idea what might come of that. Get before God, humble yourself, obey what the Spirit tells you. And then the T in ghost, test everything against the word. Test everything against the word. This is so critical because there are times people will come along and say, I believe the Holy Spirit has told me to do something. And you kind of go, but that's completely contrary to scripture. The Holy Spirit will never contradict scripture in telling you to do something. So test the Spirit. In fact, John writes this in 1 John chapter 4. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You know, I joked a couple of weeks ago that when we think about the Trinity, often in conservative churches, we've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scripture. And that's wrong. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But because so many conservative churches kind of lean towards Scripture more than anything else, it's understandable that there are maybe more kind of charismatically inclined or more spiritually inclined churches that go, no, we just follow the Spirit. Now, I had a great debate with somebody years ago who who just felt the Spirit would lead in everything. And she didn't want to study the Word because the Word might stop her from doing what the Spirit was telling and the Holy Spirit will never contradict the word of God. We need to test against the word. Get before God. Humble yourself. Obey what the Spirit tells you. 
and test everything. Yes, there is no S, and I've just realized that as well. And that's why I'm looking backwards and forwards, and I'm going, you know, I had it, I had it. Where's my S? You know what the S is? It's submit. <laughs> this is what happens when you type your notes and you copy and paste and cut and all these gets. So you've got goat right now. S, submit. Obey what the Spirit tells you and then submit. Submit. You see, often the Holy Spirit comes and prompts us. And we then start to decide why we shouldn't obey that. No, no, no. It'll just be weird if I encourage that person. Or, or no, I, I don't have the money to give to that person. Uh, or no, I, I'm not good enough to, to step in there. Or I don't know enough. You see, if we don't submit... And then we come back to God saying, God, can you give me another assignment? God doesn't work that way. God says, no, I've already told you what to do. You're not obeying and you're not submitting. Submit to, what, to the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jen, for asking that. And then test everything against the word. You know, the beauty is this is recorded and this is online, so next time you play it, you can just kind of fast forward and backtrack to get all of that. And as we learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that leads to my fourth question, or the fourth question that came out. Does the Holy Spirit ever overpower a person and force them to do something? Does the Holy Spirit ever overpower someone and force them to do something? Technically, the Holy Spirit could, because the Holy Spirit is all-powerful. However, as I read through Scripture, I believe the answer is no. The Holy Spirit will not overpower us to do something. Because the Holy Spirit still expects obedience from us. God invites us on this journey of life. God invites us into his grand purpose. And he always gives us the option to join in or to say no. Now, it might be, as we read through Acts, when Paul speaks about the Holy Spirit prevented us from doing something, and that's what Pastor Jennifer spoke about a few weeks ago when how does the Holy Spirit guide us? He guides us through circumstances. And he guides us through things happening. But the Holy Spirit doesn't guide us by overpowering us and changing our personality and changing who we are. No, the Holy Spirit says, this is the way I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. You have the option to step in and to respond in fact, I said that right near the beginning. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He simply wants us to humbly step in. In fact, Cindy and I had a, had a really entertaining conversation yesterday. You know, Cindy is one of the ones that's volunteering up in Sunday school. She's volunteering for Kristen, our daughter's kindergarten class. 
Kristen loves that kindergarten class. And she has a great time every week with those kindergartners. She's prepared. She's got her material. She, in fact, I come to church early on Sunday mornings. She's always coming with me. She tries to get me here earlier than I normally come in because she's so passionate about those kids. And so she wants to make sure the classroom is set up and all the crafts are ready and everything's good to go. And she's, she loves it. She has an ability and she's gifted by God. Do you know, Cindy will probably kill me for saying this, but Cindy pointed out, you know, I volunteer with a group of other fantastic people for the lunches. I can sort out a lunch for 200 people, no sweat. But I'm terrified of seven little kindergartners. <laughs> because I just, I, 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 I don't know how to teach. I, I, I don't know what to do. And, and Cindy was kind of hoping that the Holy Spirit would just overpower her. That she could just walk into that room, hit a trance, and the Holy Spirit can do stuff. And, and we joked and kind of realized, no, that's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit just needs you to show up and to step out in faith. And he will speak through you and move through you as he uses your personality and your voice and your interaction. I said to Cindy, just remind those kids Jesus loves them. That's fine. Kristen will do the rest when she gets back. Does the Holy Spirit ever overpower? No, he doesn't. He is far too gracious, far too kind, far too patient, and he gives us the opportunity. And that leads to our final question. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Now, this was a comment I made in one of the sermons a few weeks ago about don't grieve the Holy Spirit, and that comes out of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, Do not grieve the, the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And the context over there in Ephesians chapter 4 is all about living holy lives. And basically what Paul is saying as he's writing to the, the church at Ephesus is that sin is missing the mark. You know, so when God gives us his commandments and gives us his ideals of how we're to live this life, Paul says sin is missing that mark. It's not just a list of doing the wrong thing. It's consciously choosing to walk away from God's ideal. And so in the context of Ephesians 4, Paul is saying, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so with the Holy Spirit within you, yes, we shouldn't be living lives of sin. Because when we consciously choose to sin, we grieve the Spirit within us. Yeah, I, I love the, the context of Ephesians 4 because it's actually more about the community of believers. Paul's not simply writing to an individual. Yes, that's true. The individual shouldn't be willingly choosing to sin, expecting the Holy Spirit to still move. But Paul talks about a community. And so he says, you know, we grieve the Holy Spirit when we use foul language with one another. And that's not swearing per se, although that's part of it, but that's not per se. It's using language with one another that tears one another down rather than building up. Paul talks about bitterness in the community. And, and it, it saddens me to say that still happens today. So many churches have people who, you know, they, they had a fallout with someone else in the community and, and they haven't spoken for years. 
For those of you who were part of the navigating um, polarizing conversations of the last couple of weeks on Wednesday nights, this last week, uh, the speaker kind of spoke about bitterness and used that classic illustration. When you hold a grudge against someone, when you hold this bitterness to somebody, it's like you're drinking the poison hoping they will die. That doesn't happen. And so when we, when we drink the poison of bitterness, we grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, White Rock Baptist Church, our desire is to be a loving community of hope. And every time we choose to do our own thing, every time we get proud, every time we use language that tears down, every time we, we have this bitterness and, and maybe anger and rage or whatever the case might be, well, we lose that impact that we could have. You know, the, the Holy Spirit in me should not be at variance with the Holy Spirit in each of you. That doesn't mean we're not going to have times where we don't see eye to eye. That doesn't mean we're not going to have times where, where maybe there's conflict. But even there, the Holy Spirit can bring unity and bring restoration. And when we seek to do that, well, then we're not grieving the Holy Spirit. And then we're able to see the Holy Spirit work in our midst and truly impact this, king, this world around us. So how do I close off? How do I wrap up seven or eight weeks of talking about the Holy Spirit? Well, I would simply say, let us as White Rock Baptist Church, individually and corporately, let us learn to acknowledge the Spirit's presence. And as we acknowledge the Spirit's presence, let us then learn to walk by the Spirit. And as we walk by the Spirit, let us learn not to grieve the Spirit. Because I genuinely believe as we do that, as we worship God in spirit and in truth, we might need to build a bigger sanctuary as people come and discover what is the reason for the hope within us as they find life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that you lead us into truth. You open the word, the word of God, in our hearts and in our minds. Holy Spirit, I thank you that even right now you're hovering just above. Yes, you dwell in our hearts. Yes, you are omnipresent. Yes, you, you are everywhere but you are hovering above this place and above us. And Holy Spirit, we pray, would you come in and bring life and light? And where there is mess and chaos and disorder, Holy Spirit, would you bring order and you would bring structure so that we would learn to worship our Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth, and so that we would be conformed to our Savior Jesus Christ more and more. Because God, we know as soon as we grow in Christ-like character, walking in the Spirit, living in light of the Spirit, God, we know you will use us to tell the world and indeed to impact the world. Holy Spirit, come 
and move. For we surrender for your kingdom and your glory's sake. And we pray this in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And together as your people, we say, amen.